Fan Morning Show. Gunner and Daniela here with you for another yeah, 54 minutes. I'll be super exact about it. Then you get a little breather. You're precise. Then JD is going to come in here spitting hot fire oh, about something, always. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like when there's okay, no, and like there was NFL preseason yep. and there was no Jays. And it's like NFL preseason's rarely the lead. Just always curious. Uh, where, That's very where true. Also, does JD strike you as a guy that's gonna just absolutely opine about the Knicks and Raptors? Oh, I I actually bet he will have a lot uh, on that. I think he'll have something on on what it means about Masai or <laughs> what it is. There'll be he he's great at this. There's gonna be some big yeah, picture big picture uh, takeaway yeah. regarding what it is. And again, if you haven't checked out that story, uh, go check it out. The Knicks and Raptors are well, they're not suing each other. The Knicks are suing the Raptors instead of taking it to Adam Silver. They are taking it to a district court in Manhattan. So have fun with that, all you legal beagles. Uh, joining us now to not talk about that, to talk about baseball. In fact, the Blue Jays starting up a series with the Orioles tonight in Baltimore. Johnny Junta, co-host the Gate 14 podcast, joining us now. Johnny, how are you doing this morning? Thanks for getting up, man. I'm doing great. I'm a little anxious, obviously. Big series at Camden Yards, the house of terrors for me. <laughs> uh, but you know what? The vibes are at an all-time high now. We just won two out of three. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, ready to attack the week. All right, I love it. That's the that's the mentality uh, the team needs to have as as well. So, let's just let's just talk about the elephant in the room here. The big brothering that has happened by the Orioles this year. How much of this series, this is the thing I've looked at is like, of course, the series matters the most cuz you need to win games, you can be in a better wild card spot. But in the grand scheme of things, does it not matter just as much to make sure the Orioles don't become your big brother this early on in their kind of competitive cycle when you've already been a couple of years ahead of them? Like, how much is that what this series is about here? Well, I, I'm going to try to stay be positive, Johnny, here. Listen, I, it's going to be hard to do it. The Orioles are kind of already alphaing the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, their team is one of the youngest in baseball, and they already have put a substantially better product in the baseball field than the Toronto Blue Jays, so... This series isn't going to dictate if they're the big brother because right now they are. I hate to say it, but uh, it, it's it's a massive series, and it, it's also being interdivision where the Jays have been absolutely terrible this year. Uh, and this is, in my opinion, one of the biggest series of the year. And the Orioles are just so damn good, and it makes no sense to me. They have Kyle Gibson looking like Cy Young on the mound. So I don't know how they do it. They got some sort of cheating system going on over there, but. Uh, as of right now, they are the big brothers this year. They've just dominated the Blue Jays. Jays haven't stood a single chance against this team. The season series is just embarrassing for the Blue Jays. So hopefully they turn it around and it's better late than never with this team. So we'll see what happens this week. I think the importance of this series is magnified by the fact of what comes afterwards, which is then the Jays might, you know, start having people buy in again for an extended stretch because they're going to be playing some bad teams for a bit. But Seattle's also playing bad teams, so it kind of negates each other there. This just does seem like a very pivotal point in the season because the last time you're seeing the Baltimore Orioles, and as you mentioned, uh, Johnny, they the, the Jays in general against the AL East have really struggled this year. And overall, I I, I wonder, I, I just, I, I think about... If it's how concerning it is to, to to sit here and also think, well, yeah, like the the windows are fleeting. Like it just it's evidence based on what Baltimore's done and how and how where the Jays are that your competitive cycle, as Gunner put it, is is fleeting and it's no guarantee that you're going to be in this position for a sustained period of time. Which, if you would ask any of us, what a year ago, two years ago, we would say, well, the Jays have time and there's a window of opportunity here that they can capitalize on. It's closing much faster than any of us, I think, thought. 
Yeah, this uh, I wouldn't necessarily say the window's closed. And they still got a little bit of a decent time with this young core and Kevin Gossman's locked up here in Bass and all these guys. But the, the, the reason why you can say that window's closing is because the Baltimore Orioles have still one of the best prospect systems in baseball, and they've called up a lot of their guys. They have a guy, Jackson Holiday in A, who's 18 years old, hitting 360. Um, so they just got tons of guys coming up there. So this is the Jays' opportunity. This is the Jays' chance to kind of give this team some playoff reps, give these guys like Bo Bichette some playoff reps, and it's kind of slipping away. But it's no one else's fault besides this Toronto Blue Jays' offense. I mean, the pitching staff is best in baseball right now, um, lowest DRA in baseball, and the offense has just been falling asleep at the wheel with runners scoring position. But the, the beauty thing about it is, is it's in their own hands. Jays win if the Jays win the rest and they go on like a nice little 650 winning percentage run for the rest of the year, they'll be in the playoffs. Um, they just got to take care of business against the Nationals, the Rockies, the A's, the Royals, and go from there. But it does it does seem like, especially as a Jays fan looking on from the outside, it does seem as if the Seattle Mariners might just never lose again. They might just be the best team that's ever played baseball. Yeah, they give Rodriguez the night off last night. They still win 14-2. Luis Castillo <laughs> threw 40-plus straight fastballs in that game, and the White Sox still weren't hitting it. So, yeah, it really does seem that. Now, the one thing I will remind everybody is that as much as it feels that way, a run like that almost always is followed up by a run the other way or at least luck kind of breaking. So maybe the maybe the M's are getting it all kind of out of the way. You said you want to be optimistic. Be optimistic, not the schedule. In terms of players on this team, what's giving you the most, uh, you know, cause for optimism as we head into uh, this series against Baltimore or even if you want to look at it for the, the rest of the regular season here? For me, it's been two guys, man. And Dalton Varsho, I was pretty hard on him early in the year, obviously, rightfully so. The guy hitting, was hitting below his body weight pretty much. But... I, we looked at his splits on the podcast the other day. He's he's hitting 315 in his last uh, 15 games, 317, I want to say, in his last seven or something around there. The guy's really figured out the play. And this is a guy who is leading baseball in defensive run saved. He is the best defensive outfielder in the entire major leagues. So once this guy even gives you a little bit at the plate, he's worth every single ounce of that trade. And he's starting to attack the fastball, starting to catch up the fastball, starting to have competitive at-bats. He's figuring it out, and he couldn't figure it out at a better time. I mean, this is the, the playoff stretch here. This is the most important games of the year. And uh, Dalton Barshow has really figured it out. Another guy for me is Calvin Biggio, um, a guy that's having really competitive at-bats, hitting the ball hard, hitting home runs, uh, looking good. And obviously, I mean, he hasn't been getting that much playing time, but he's maximizing his role. And every single time they play him, it seems like he does something well for this team. So those are the two guys that have figured it out that are going to need to figure it out to give this lineup some depth where it lacks. Um, and like I said, Dalton Varsho has been special this year in the outfield. So if he gives you anything out of that bat, it's, uh, he's, a, he's a massive, massive player, a massive, massive part of this team. Yeah, it's a big difference when you got a guy, especially Varsho, given the role he has on this team and how much they've invested in him in terms of what they gave up to go and get him this past offseason. To have him hold his own at the plate is is huge, and I'm sure they expected a lot more given even the production of what he had last year in Arizona. But comparatively, when if you can combine what he does defensively in the outfield and if he gives you anything of relevance at the plate, A, it lengthens your lineup, and it just makes you feel a whole lot better about this team in general. Uh, I wanted to ask about Yusei Kikuchi. You've been on the Kikuchi corner since the very beginning, Johnny. I mean, the, the Yusei t-shirts that are out there, I mean, you guys are rocking it and have been on that corner all year long. 
he's kind of vaulted into that mix of maybe even being the Jays, what, second most trusted or picked the starting pitcher at this point? Like, how impressed have you been with the way he's he's performed and how consistent he's been start to finish up until this point in the year? It's, it's and I'll be honest with you, in the offseason we were talking about the Usai Young or Usai Kuchi stuff, a little bit of it was sarcasm, obviously, because we like to joke around a little bit. I couldn't imagine in my wildest dreams, this guy having a sub-1-2 ERA after an all-star break and a sub-2-2 ERA in his last 15 starts. I truly can't believe the turnaround this guy's had. And it's the implementation of this curveball and the slider and the pitch mixes that he wasn't really doing that well last year. There was a lot of control problems as well last year. But Yusei Kikuchi, if I would have told you last year that there could be a potential that Yusei Kikuchi and Jose Barrio starts in a three-game series for the Toronto Blue Jays in the playoffs. I would have got absolutely roasted by burner accounts on Twitter if I would have said that. <laughs> so I just hope Yusei Kikuchi has been everything. I keep kind of lo- kind of waiting for a blow-up maybe to happen, and it just hasn't happened. The guy has every single start given this team a chance to win have put up less than two runs against. It has been incredible to watch because you could tell this guy obviously really cares. So – um, it's just this year has been awesome for the Usai Young, Usai Young bandwagon, and I'm just happy to start it and be a part of it. I just I love the guy. Yeah, it's uh, it's really been remarkable the turnaround. I think everybody was kind of half talking themselves into it, like you said, and then the year started to go, and it just kept going. And he's honestly got better as the years gone on. And yeah, how can you look at him as any other way? You know, if I'm going to ask you, you're you're the manager, you're you're setting the lineup card. How are you using your starting pitchers in a three-game wildcard set? Because I, I, I still like Gosman. He is the guy I trust the most far and away in game one. And then yep. depending on how that goes, I I would probably, if they lose it, go Barrios and save Kikuchi for three. And if they win it, go Kikuchi and then save Barrios for game three. How would you kind of look at your wildcard starters right now uh, if you were the manager? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Gosman's clear, obviously. I mean, the guy's... the, the uh, with the Garrett Cole blow up, he's kind of the Cy Young favorite right now, or at least close to it. I definitely go Kevin Gossman game one. That's why you paid the guy the big bucks. The thing, the problem with Kikuchi is, and I've been saying this for a while, is his, his stuff translates the best to the bullpen. He's a lefty that could go two or three innings, let it eat 97, 98 mile an hour with good off-speed pitches. It's, but it's hard to take a guy like that out of the rotation. He's earned a spot in that playoff rotation, so I'm going to have to agree. I, personally, I would go Jose Barrios game two. Um, no matter what happens, and I would go, uh, you say, Kikuchi game three. I mean, Kikuchi has been the best starter in baseball since the All-Star break, so you truly can't go wrong with throwing him game two or game three, but Barrios has been special, man. Had a no-hitter going into the fifth on Friday. The guys looked absolutely incredible. Unfortunately, he got the loss because the offense didn't score one singular run, but uh, you can't go wrong with those three guys, man. You really can't, and then also when you go into the division series, stuff like that, you can still have Bassett and and Ryu, who has a sub two ERA right now, uh, Hinjin Ryu. So this pitching staff has been absolutely incredible, and you got to tip your cap to Ross Atkins for it. Yeah, somebody we were talking to, I forget who, even threw out the idea of almost. In, uh, obviously, you wouldn't do this in the wild card, but in a divisional or a, or a championship series, or heaven forbid, a World Series, it's like the idea of Kikuchi and Ryu piggybacking off of each other, lefties who do it completely differently. I can imagine how challenging and flummoxing that would be. I keep coming back to it that, and again, as as down as we've been on this team's offense, rightfully so at times this year, I sometimes think we do kind of just gloss over how elite, elite, elite. The 
the starting pitching is because we just, I don't know about you, you're Mr. Positive, but it's like we said so much time diagnosing the problems here that it really does feel like we kind of paper over a little bit of this isn't a good Blue Jays rotation. That is a World Series level rotation right there. And it's not could in their best version of themselves. No, what those guys have given you this year flat out is World Series level. And I don't feel like we we necessarily give it its its proper due. It seems like we just kind of almost gloss past it when we talk about this team. Yeah, it's just it's, it's the same. I mean, uh, it's, it seems as if every single year in the past, the, we've been blaming the pitching, we've been blaming the bullpen, we've been blaming the starting rotation because the offense has been so good, just like in 2021 where they had one of the best lineups in baseball. It's just a weird mix as a fan to look at the Toronto Blue Jays team and be a Toronto Blue Jays fan and say, this pitching is incredible, but man, this offense is terrible. It's just, it's, it's a crazy and weird adjustment, but if this offense was even half competent with runners scoring position, I mean, they rank in the bottom five in baseball in so many categories, runners scoring position. If they could even be competent, middle of the pack, this team would be a 75 win team right now. 76 win team wouldn't even be competing for like the wild card spot. They'd be at the top of it. They'd be first in the wild card. But it's it's just hopefully this offense starts clicking. And I keep saying it. I've been saying that for the past m- couple months, obviously, but. If this offense really starts to figure it out, this team could go on a very, very, very serious run, just like they did in 2015. No, it's a great point, and I I would totally echo your sentiment about this. This it just every time you see the offense struggle, you think to yourself, "Man, are they really going to squander this historically great rotation and and bullpen?" Because really, that's what the staff is. The pitching staff is at a point where it's among you know, some of the best in baseball and also one of the best in the history of the franchise. If you really stack it up and look at what they've done, it's truly impressive. And that's I can't help but always feel that way, especially when they're in like one nothing games and you're thinking, God, can you not just give these guys an, a little bit more run support? Like Kevin, poor Kevin Gosman. Seems like he never gets run support. And I, I just, I, I feel like they're, that's, that's ultimately just the missing piece here is the offense and one guy I, I've been saying this for two days I've been accused of being too overly negative about him but I think it all orbits around or a lot of it does around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and I just wonder given what we've seen from him this year Johnny where do you sit on Vladdy and the way that he's performed and obviously the scuffles that he's had for prolonged stretches throughout this season yeah and going back to what you're saying about the Jays wasting this uh, opportunity here this best three style, if the Jays don't make the playoffs this year and they waste this opportunity, I might have to turn Gate 14 into a romantic comedy podcast. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. But going into Vladi, going into Vladi, Vladi has just been. I mean, he's a, he's. They rated him an 80 grade tool, which is the highest rated player tool uh, by scouts for power. And Vladi is now just he's slugging below Brandon Belt, which is crazy to me. If you would have told me that at the start of the year. He is just—he's a—he's a—he's the greatest singles hitter of all time. He's just not hitting home runs anymore. He's not hitting pull side home runs. He's not elevating the baseball. I don't know what is going on with him, but if you do watch his at bats and if you do look into his at bats, his selection has been terrible. His pitch selection—he's swinging at weird pitches. He's not letting the pitcher get to him. He's not—he's not swinging at middle middle. He's just—he's chasing these outside sliders that everyone's throwing him or elevated fastballs. I don't know what's going on with him. But his approach this year, I think his swing is perfectly fine. I'm not a swing guy, obviously. I won 60 in junior college. His, <laughs> his swing looks the exact same. It's just his approach has been absolutely terrible. Like three strike, three strike at-bats, never going deep into counts. I don't know what's going on with this guy, but this offense, 
is gonna it's it's all gonna dictate on what Vladdy does. And if he starts hitting home runs and being the guy that he was in twenty twenty one, this team is gonna be a problem. But luckily we have Boba Shutt and Brandon Belt kind of carrying the weight right now. Yeah, go back to uh, go back to May and tell yourself that sentence. You'd be very okay with the first half of it. Yeah. And you go, I'm sorry, who? Brandon Belt. Oh, oh, I don't love don't love that. You know, the thing with Vladdy that that continues to jump out to me, and again, it's not like I'm seeing something that anybody else is, and it's just you nailed it. It's the selection. As much as we heard about the 80 power grade tool when he came up, what was the other thing we heard? Is that he has the best – he's 16 years old. And he already has the best eye in the majors. Nobody could spit on a pitch like Vladdy. And did it Did it just go away overnight? He just forgot how to do that? Because you don't have a good eye because you can literally see the ball. It's your understanding of the strike zone. It's your command of it. It's having that kind of internal presence in your head. And the fact that it just seems to have – almost evaporated, not overnight, but since that MVP season, that is the part that's so concerning to me because I don't know what causes that big of a shift in a player. You know, if a guy starts expanding a little bit, you can say, okay, he's pressing, but it's not just expanding. It's not expanding. Like you said, it's letting middle middle just go right by. It's not being able to catch up to heat. And it just seems like a guy who just doesn't have the same command of the zone that he did when he, when he first came up, honestly. Yeah, and I know he's still young, obviously. I mean, he's the guy's, I think he's 21 years old still, so or 22 years old. He's somewhere in that age range. I'm not quite sure. But it's just, it, it's, it, it, may, it makes me sad. I mean, I'm seeing Vladdy miss or foul back these middle, middle 93-mile-an-hour soft-serve ice cream pitches against AAA pitchers, and I'm like, what happened to my generational hitter? I, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but you can see the frustration with him. Um you could see him obviously kind of press, like you mentioned, with him swinging at pitches outside of the zone, which is what he never, never did. But he has been offensively one of the worst hitters on this team in the past couple months. He has been. He's not slugging anywhere near it. His on-base percentage isn't great. His OPS is not great. His OPS plus isn't great. And it's letting the team down. I mean, this is a guy that's supposed to be that middle-of-the-order generational hitter that always comes through for you. And he's just not he's falling asleep at the wheel but luckily we have boba shut thank god we have boba shut because boba <laughs> shut is take is actually stealing all the money that vladdy's going to be getting so you hate to see it for vladdy oh i i that's i'm glad you went there actually because i wanted to sort of pivot in that direction a little bit uh vladdy 24 by the way johnny he's 24 years old 24. And, and you okay. know what you're right he's still by age very young but he's been in the big leagues now for five years, and there's a sample size there. And and I'm glad Gunnar mentioned it in in his question, his previous question, which, you know, like it doesn't. I don't think it just escapes you that ability that he has, that natural God-given ability to a be super disciplined at the plate and then just mash baseballs doesn't escape you and that's why it's frustrating with him sometimes because you watch him and you you know the all the tools are there it doesn't it doesn't just disappear and for whatever reason it's just not clicking right now but if i had to ask you given and i and i have this prep too more if if i had to let you pick between bo and vlad and i said who gives you more confidence long term as a long-term piece right now who is it that you would pick between bo and vlad as somebody you would want to continue to build around it, it's it's Bo, and it's not even really close in my opinion. I, I hate to say it. I'm a Vladdy guy, obviously. I want him to be a Blue Jay forever. But Bo Bichette has kind of taken the food off of Vladdy's plate. I mean, one, he plays a premium position in shortstop, which is one of the hardest positions to find a hitter of Bo's-esque at this position. You can see it with the Orioles. They have Jorge Mateo there. Um, it's Bo Bichette. I mean, the guy 
has led Major League Baseball in hits every single year. This year, I'm not quite sure if he will because of the injury he had. But um, Bobachev playing a premium position, and I'm like I said, I'm not trying to be mean to Vladdy, but you look around the league, there is multiple, multiple first basemen with substantially better numbers than Vladdy right now. And with, and you can look at the other side along with Bobachev. The only guy on the planet better than Bobachev, in my honest opinion, on shortstop, is Corey Seager. The rest of the guys, whatever, Bobachet is top two in the world in, uh, at shortstop. So I think Bobachet is the guy that I'd be more comfortable paying. He's shown consistency to be able to hit in this league his entire career, and he's figured it out defensively. Usually last year, he would always say, we have to move Bobachet to second base. He's not really that good at shortstop. This year, he's given you literally zero problems at shortstop. He has been incredible defensively, and that's something that he emphasized in the offseason. It looks like it's paid off. Yeah, I'm just looking at Vladdy's split numbers here and uh, team by team. The most frustrating part of it is uh, he might be actually, yeah, looking at the numbers, the team he has struggled the most against this year has been the Orioles. He's hitting a buck 43 with 11 strikeouts, oh, uh, just a also yikes. 143 slugging against the Orioles yikes. as well. 143, not not one on the other side of the dot. No, on the bad side. And that's it 10 is, game sample size. Yeah, that's not nothing. It's actually 11, Daniele. Oh, 11. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's just not been uh, not been what you want there uh, from, from him. Uh, lastly, before we let you go, uh, on the pen, uh, Romano, Hicks, obviously Hicks had his little uh, blow up on, on the weekend there, came back, got it back. I think that's so important for a late inning guy. Uh, just, I imagine you just continue to be impressed. Do you have any, do you have any, you know, worries about the way the pen? I shouldn't say worries, but do you have a different feel about the way the pen should be used? Or do you like them kind of keeping Romano as this de facto closer and then just mixing and matching with Hicks or Swanson or whoever makes sense in the seventh and eighth? I like, I'll be honest with you, I kind of like the way that this pen has been used. I mean, you look at um, Jordan Hicks obviously gave up that game-winning home run on, on Friday, and John Schneider kind of throws him back in the mix there and gives him his confidence back and says, listen, I know you threw one bad pitch Friday. We're going to throw you in another high-leverage situation on Saturday and see what you could do with it. And the guy was incredible. I mean, he, that pitch sequence he threw to Ali De La Cruz, he threw 103-102-103-101 in four pitches and just struck out one of the one of the best hitters in baseball, in my opinion. I mean, the guy's electric, Ellie De La Cruz. But, yeah, I, I love this bullpen, man. And then we, we got reinforcements coming up. Chad Green. I mean, Chad Green's still not even here. And this guy hasn't given up one singular run in his entire rehab appearance right now in the minors. He's been in the minors for a month now almost. So, this bullpen is incredible. John Schneider is honestly, there's not really much to complain about, man. I mean, he has the tools. And you can't really go wrong with any single other guy going in the eighth and the seventh and all those type of innings. I mean, Tim Meza sub one three ERA. Are you kidding me? I can't even believe that still looking at that. So the bullpen construction has been incredible. The use of it, in my opinion, has been incredible. And uh, like I said, if this offense figures it out, you know, this bullpen is going to lock it down. So hopefully for these last month and a half stretch, we have here, this bullpen, this uh, offense figures it out. And we can go on that uh, run that I could tell my grandkids about one day, one day, uh, maybe this year, <laughs> who knows, uh, Johnny really appreciated the chat. Thanks for jumping on, man. Thanks for having me on fellas. There he goes, Johnny Junta, co-host, uh, co-host of the Gate 14 podcast. You told me brought the, he was going to bring the energy, oh, and yeah. he did. He did. I, mm-hmm. uh, I love that chat with him. And look, the offense, if it does come around, because the thing, other than Yusei Kikuchi, and again, there's now a track record that I don't think we look at it this way, but other than Yusei Kikuchi, and even going to the bullpen, I don't think we look at it as these guys who are having years that are completely above their head of what we've expected of them. Th- that should all be sustainable the rest of the way. I mean, again, like... 
bullpens are by their nature volatile and guys will have blowups and guys will come back. But when you look at it, there isn't some reliever that came out of absolutely nowhere. All these guys have pedigree. They're kind of supposed to be in those spots. You look at Barrios, what they had to give up for him, what they paid him, Kevin Gosman, Cy Young front runner, Chris Bassett. Again, like I had my questions about how it would play. It's played just fine in the <laughs> AL East. So that's the thing that that does give you hope is just even because bad teams will have hot offensive stretches for a couple of weeks there. If it comes at the right time, it is all right there for this Jays team, but you have to take care of your business between now and then to make sure that you get a chance in the wild card because oh, totally. as of now they would not. No, totally. Also just going back on the quickly, the Boba thing still leading the American league really? in hits. Wow. Doesn't lead baseball in hits. Cause there's three guys in the NL and can't, I'm sure you can guess who they are, especially the first one. It's a guy who's been hitting close to 400 all year. Luis Arise yep. leading the way then Acuna and Freeman, but still leading the American league. And that's after missing what he missed more than two yep. weeks, right? With, with that injury. So that's really impressive and remarkable how consistent he's been. But yes, the, the bullpen and the pitching, you're 100% right. Like, it's not that these guys are doing things outside of their, their, the realm of, you know, what they've traditionally done or that they're, it, yeah, yes, Kikuchi's exceeded expectations, sure. But beyond that, it's about what you would have hoped for or at least envisioned. Mm-hmm. Now, has Barrios been pleasantly surprising in terms of how consistent he's been and all that? Yeah, definitely. But you're paying him to be that guy. So it's part of what you signed up for, or at least that's what you hoped you signed up for. And now you're getting it. And all of this is happening. The bullpen, same thing with all the pieces and how, where they've all slotted in. The beautiful thing about adding Jordan Hicks was that you can knock everyone else down a peg, which makes you feel so much better about the bullpen. And you're doing all this without Alec Manoa being a factor. And what did we talk last year? This is a guy that was a Cy Young finalist, Cy Young finalist. He was remarkable how good he was. And yet now he became, he went from that to being a complete non-factor and you still have the best pitching staff in the, in the sport. It's crazy. It's remarkable that Alec Manoa just fell off the face of the earth and they effectively just replaced him with Yusei Kikuchi. Like, really, that's all that's happened here is like, okay, we'll just have another guy who is a rock solid two starter, one B, one C, however you want to look at it. And Kikuchi's given them everything. And then Bassett gets to continue to be the fourth starter, however you look at it. Ryu coming in has been so important. And and again, like, I know we talked about this yesterday, but Ryu coming in and allowing them the freedom, showing them, hey, I'm here. I got this. I'm alive. I'm healthy. (laughs) You can go do whatever you need to do with Manoa now. You don't have to continue to play footsie with the idea. Maybe we can get him back in. No, it's gone now. Deal with this in September. We'll deal with this in in February because, look, no one's pouring dirt on him. No one's saying he's never going to be back in the big leagues. I think everyone's expecting him to figure it out and be back in the big leagues next year. But the fact that they've been able to just paper over that with you say it's been quite honestly, uh, remarkable and quite, and quite honestly, I know we got to go to Jason quite honestly. It's the first time in Manoa's case, he's ever experienced any degree of failure. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Like he's probably, he's come up through the minors. He's come up through as a young kid and and goes and excels at West Virginia and then comes right away. And he makes the fast track to the big leagues with the blue Jays. He's never experienced or had that taste of failure and how to adjust to it and overcome that. And now he's dealing with it. And I think that's part of what every player has to do. And now in some instances, Vladdy's has to go through it right now at the major league level, mm-hmm. right? Where, and other guys don't, sometimes they need to be sent down to deal with it. Vlad is doing at the major league level. Somebody in the text line, I wanted to make sure mm-hmm. we made this point because some, this has been a topic the last yeah. day or so about the finger. Yes. Was the finger, has the finger been some looming issue that could affect him? Look, if, if you're on the field and you're playing, 
We can only judge you based on that and what you're doing. You're out there. You're giving us the body of work. And it's not just this season. It's a more it's a more prolonged mm-hmm. body of work that we have now to reference back to. So we can only judge based off what we see. And I don't believe this was a recurring thing. But that's I just wanted to make sure we clarified that because it's not like oh well we're pouring dirt on a and and rubbing it into the wound yeah. of an injured player. No no no. Like he's he's out there. If you're healthy enough to play. We have to judge you based on what you're doing. Yeah, this isn't the old game 163 that no longer exists. Like, if he needed a day or two, they'd give him a day or two. And guess what? If he needed two weeks, they'd give him two weeks. They'd give you the two weeks. Because you know what? They would love nothing more, and they being the Blue Jays, would love nothing more than to say, oh, that's what was wrong the whole time. <laughs> they would gladly sit Vladdy Guerrero down for two Same weeks. At least going to just turn him back exactly. into the guy or something similar. I guarantee you that's not the case. I also see on the text line somebody wondering if they're just hiding him from Baltimore. I highly doubt he'll be hiding <laughs> that long, but uh, I did I did want to sneak that in there. Also, I don't know that we'll do it, but if you have submissions for the Wake and Rake, uh, get them in. Our man, Big E in Burlington, he went two for three yesterday. He's back with another one. You don't have to cook up a whole parlay, but if you got some bets you, you think we should uh, hear, let us know. Maybe we'll do that before the end of the show. What we will definitely do, we will definitely talk to Jason Lackamfora, NFL analyst. He's next. Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet. Bob Knight of the Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. boy, Sant, man. Nice job, Josh Santos. Behind the glass, pulling double duty with you in here, Daniele. Mm-hmm. Final segment of the show. Very, very to, happy to kick it off with our last guest of the day. And this insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Please to welcome in Jason Lackenfora, NFL analyst, Sportsline, and co-host Inside Access 105.7, The Fan in Baltimore. I welcome you to Sportsnet 59 of The Fan in Toronto. Jason, thanks for jumping on. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Hope you guys are well. Well, I would like to offer you my condolences on the yeah. the, the ending of the greatest streak in the history of sports. <laughs> uh, you know, what? The, the preseason win streak. How, how are the people <laughs> of Baltimore doing this morning, Jason? Uh, pretty devastated. Pretty pretty <laughs> morose. I mean, I, I got to say the Cal Ripken thing was interesting, <laughs> but pales in comparison to what John Harbaugh and a bunch of people who – most of whom didn't have NFL careers, and we don't remember their names, but they contributed to this amazing 24 straight game run of unquestioned, unparalleled perfection. It, it, you know, I don't think we'll ever see anything the likes of this again. Eight years of preseason winning football. I don't know what more a town, a fan base could ask for, and I just hope that. Um, when people get over the initial grips of of pain and panic and frustration and anger, that we do sit back and bask in what an accomplishment it was. Um, it'll take some time to get there, but I know collectively, eventually, we'll get there, and when we do, we'll be better for it. Well, I know, I know, it's far from an equal, like a, a good enough consolation, but I guess a healthy Lamar Jackson to start the season is pretty good consolation prize. Like you can't go in with a perfect preseason, but at least you do have a quarterback this year, Jason. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could debate, you know, if Lamar played in that game, is the streak still alive? And, and how, does that put you into the regular season with even more, you know, confidence? And, and you know, what does that mean for a team's inner psyche? We'll never know. Uh, but, no, yeah, look, they uh, – the interesting thing about this streak is that it went on as long as it did once – well, I'd be wrong to say Harbaugh didn't care. I mean, you could see – how on his face, as that game got tight, close and late, how much he cared. However, in terms of the man management aspect of this, uh, his his approach to these games changed drastically during this streak. And really, you go back two years ago to this very game when they're playing against the – then they were the WFTs or the WTFs, whatever the hell they were called. Two years ago, Baltimore at Washington – and J.K. Dobbins, they wanted to get him five, seven snaps, and he blows out his knee early in that game, and really wasn't wouldn't be the same for eighteen months. Like in that moment, Harbaugh's approach changed drastically, and they stopped playing nearly as many proven guys as they did in the past, and they start being much more judicious about who dressed for these games. Yet they kept winning, um, even though that approach changed. So. It's a weird thing. It's a fluky thing. Um, but to this point, they've had a, a relatively, uh, I mean, I say relatively healthy camp, except they can't keep any corners healthy. Other than that, relatively healthy. Uh, but there are questions about the secondary for sure. Well, I look, I remember that J.K. Dobbins incident very vividly because yeah. uh, I had drafted him an hour prior in my fantasy football draft only to find that in the first quarter of a meaningless preseason game, here he, his season's over and he was yeah. done. So there is a lost investment right there. Uh, God, I still, I still got to, that one still irks me. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I mean, we'll stick with the Ravens for a second. A lot of the, uh, a Lamar's been paid. Secondly, though, a lot of talk about the weapons and the fact that now he's actually got an assortment of weapons first yep. time in a while. How much of a difference is that going to be? And at this point, I mean, what are the expectations like in Baltimore surrounding Lamar? Well, they're sky high. I mean, there's no excuses now. I mean, the Greg Roman, the old run-based offensive coordinator, um, who I think most people felt like you know, is not a guy who's got the greatest adjustments in the world. Like he's going to do what he does and it's going to work incredibly well for a long while until it doesn't. And then once it doesn't, he might not have a whole lot of answers to reverse that. And so that all played out. So he's gone. So you don't have that, you know, sort of default excuse anymore. It's a really good offensive line. Um, Probably their best by far since 2019, Lamar's MVP season. And it's the best group of skill players he's ever been around. Um, there's just not even – it's not even close. Now, how durable do these guys prove to be? Does Odell get hurt again? Does Rashad Bateman get hurt again? You know, is Zay Flowers as explosive as he is? He's not the biggest guy in the world. You know, how does that play out? over the course of a season, like nobody has the answers to all those questions yet, but they certainly for the first time organizationally, um, uh, used major resources towards pass catchers. I mean, in a way they never ever have before. So yeah, the expectation is that there'll be, you know, some bumps and a bit of a learning curve probably very early in the season, but that the the offense is going to have to carry this defense. The offense might have to score, 
28, 30 points for them to be able to beat good teams. And there's a lot of good teams with good quarterbacks in their conference because of the state of the defense and that the, the asset allocation has shifted greatly. Um, and people are no longer looking at the secondary as the best position group on the team. They're looking at it as one of the most suspect. Do you think because of that this year kind of becomes a bit of a referendum? And I guess it, it's kind of been every year, but because of all the weapons he has available to them, and like you said, we'll see how healthy they remain. But do you think this becomes a bit of a referendum on what he is as a, a passer as opposed to just playing the quarterback position? Like it's a bit of a semantic dumb argument, but we get into it with him well, specifically all the time. How, like how much do you think that that will be? I know it's been for the bulk of his NFL career thus far, but how much do you think that will kind of be the prevailing storyline coming out of this Ravens season? Well, I, I mean, he's got, you know, as much pressure on him as anybody in this league. Uh, there's there's no really debating that. Uh, I mean, I, I guess if you didn't watch what he did in the red zone in 2019 and you just looked at the back of some football cards, yeah. you know what I mean? We could have that discussion, but um, I, I, I don't, like... What he did in 2019, if it was just what he did with his feet, he wouldn't have been the unanimous MVP. You know, it, that's just a fact. It was that he was also a genius in the red zone. Um, and when the field, he could run it down your throat between the 20s, but then when they got in the red zone, it was the most efficient passing game in the NFL. He was better than Tom Brady in the red zone that year. He was better than Aaron Rodgers in the red zone that year. He just he just was. You can go and break down the stats for yourself. Um, so, like, I think it's more about getting back to something close to that. Um, but for a lot of people, if this doesn't work immediately, will they be saying he could never do it and, and 2019 was a fluke and that's a waste of money? Yeah, I mean, there have been people, you know, overtly and covertly, trying to uh, submarine this kid since, you know, he got to Louisville. So I don't think that narrative's going away, especially now that he's making $52 million a year. Um, But, yeah, I mean, look, this is – he and the GM, Eric DaCosta, are now joined at the hip, and their their, um, approach to team building has shifted dramatically through the course of Lamar's still pretty young career. So if this doesn't work, if this doesn't pay dividends, then those two guys are going to be asked a lot of pointed questions come January. Lamar got paid. Another guy that's looking to get paid, Jason, apparently, is Jonathan Taylor. It's been an offseason full of running back talk. Get in line. Uh, Exactly. Get in line 100%. And this marketplace is just very volatile at this point. And here he is. The part I find really fascinating about it, before we even talk about potential suitors and what they could get, I find this so fascinating. They, the, the, the Colts have spent the entire offseason essentially saying, nah, you're not good enough for us to pay you. And now yeah. they have to f- kind of flip it around and be like, well, no, right. no, no. We're going to shop Ransom. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and here's why you should give us a bunch of picks and a yeah. bunch of assets for this guy. It's just a really weird paradox I find now. Well, I, I think what's really going on is this thing has been festering and it has been ugly and it has been personal for a while. And I think in their own way, this is the Colts' last attempt to sort of undress him to pull his pants down and say, you know, okay, you're going to get your spanking like all these other running backs. Like You think you're better. 
You think you're different. You know what? We're going to go ahead and grant you permission. But here's the thing. We've got your rights this year, and we can squat on you with a franchise tag. So we've got you for at least two more years. And you know what? That franchise tag for running backs is so low, we can franchise you twice. So, And we're not paying our quarterback any money during that span at all. He's on a, a, um, a collectively bargained rookie deal. So go out into the marketplace. And we're and, and actually, they did him the most dirty because he's going out in the marketplace when there's no money anymore. Like, at least Austin Eckler got to go out there when there was the perception of people hadn't blown their wads yet, people hadn't blown their budgets yet. You know, it was early in the offseason. And if you thought he was a difference maker enough, you could react accordingly. They're sending this guy out into the marketplace where, the, where between Eckler and now, right, we've seen – Everybody else pretty much be stuck with their tail between their legs. Now, I would say Dalvin Cook did better than he should have, and the Jets were utterly desperate. Um, but but even he was out there for quite some time. So I, I think really what they're going to do is let him see for himself that, like, not only, you know, no one's going to pay you close to what you want and give us what we want for you, and we're stuck with each other for a while. So you better grin and bear it. If you're ever going to get paid, whether it's here or somewhere else, you're, you're going to have to prove that, you know, any injuries are in the past and, and that, you know, you are arguably the best of breed at your position. Um, but everybody knows if he does get hurt, if, if things don't go swimmingly, then the climate's going to be even more difficult for him six months from now. So, uh yeah, I, I don't think anyone's going to break his fall. I don't think there's a team out there that at this stage of the game, when we're almost to roster cutdowns, is going to say, yeah, let's give him his 10, 12, whatever he wants a year, and give those guys a two and a four, you know, because we think we're winning a Super Bowl right now with Jonathan Taylor. Like, I, I, I just don't know that that team exists you know people might say oh well the bills i don't think the bills have like i don't think the where the bills are right now in their cycle you know it's about resetting the running back market i they don't they're not spending like that anymore and things have you know they, they've had to, to to sort of change some things up on the fly and i just don't think they're in a position where that's going to make sense for them i mean people are talking about the bears like, are the Bears winning a Super Bowl this year and next year? And if not, then now you're three years into that thing. And what does Jonathan Taylor still look like? I mean, these are running backs. They age, you know, more quickly than anybody else. That's part of the reason none of you people want to pay him in the first place. So, I don't know, guys. I, I, I think it's going to fester for a while. It's not a graceful aging curve, certainly for that position. And for a guy that hasn't practiced at all this summer nope. hasn't been on a, the pra- on the practice field since December because he got hurt and there's questions about injury and is he healthy or yep. not what, what leg does he even have to stand on it just strikes me as being a really bizarre situation and a weird timing weird timing I get look you can not you might not be happy or satisfied you might want out whatever the case may be but quite honestly he probably benefits stands to benefit more from playing on a team where he is the guy the focal point of the offense and has the the bulk of the opportunity and can just kind of reestablish himself as what he believes he is, which is the guy that was the leading rusher in the league in 2021. Well, if he he does get in the backfield with Richardson and they have a good six, seven game run, and then something happens like a year ago where San Francisco 
is not sure if they have a quarterback, but thinks they can win a Super Bowl, so let's go upgrade at running back because that's the best we can do. Like that kind of thing, I'm not going to tell you it's impossible that it happens, but it's not happening in August. Nobody is making that decision and, and going that route right now. It's going to take injuries. It's going to take other situations. It's going to take us getting much closer to the trade deadline than the roster cut-down cut deadline. Yeah, it certainly will. Uh, Jason, absolutely loved it. And again, uh, just I'm I'm crushed for the people of yeah, Baltimore. Yeah, it's a tough I know. day around here. <laughs> but, we'll, but, we'll grin and bear it and get through it. Uh, but nothing's ever going to be the same. Well, and if, if history holds, uh, you're going to have a smile on your face when they absolutely beat the wheels off the Blue Jays for the next three days. So uh, that's kind of the way it's gone. So <laughs> well, at least you can uh, put your chin yeah. up over there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't think right. it's, uh, yeah, I don't think you guys believe in winning games in the division, which is fine with me. <laughs> but I continue for three more days. Okay. Uh, we <laughs> feel differently. One. Take care. Uh, there he goes. Thanks. Jason Lackham for NFL analyst and very funny guy. Yeah, he sold great. that bit exceptionally. I was kind of like, wow, how long is he going to sell this for? Oh, I loved fantastic. every second of it, but Electric. I was like, hey, He's committing to it. Uh, love that. That insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. <laughs> NFL running backs. Keep trying. Yeah. Keep, keep An- trying. Oh, and we didn't even mention, but another guy who and I saw the report yesterday, hours before this came out about Taylor, Josh Jacobs considering entering his holdout. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Because what are you going to do? I'm like, what are you going to do? Now he's... He's he's justified and and should be doing this, which is take it right up until pretty much before the regular season starts. Show up the week before, right. see if you're going to play, and right. then full systems go week two, three, whatever. Makes total sense. But ultimately, as Barkley did, this is, and I, I go back to this point, Gunner. Barkley's the only guy. Saquon yeah. Barkley is the only guy that I thought had a genuine leg to stand on yeah. and leverage because objectively, objectively, that Giants team. Is nothing without him. No, they ride him, yeah. They're they're nothing without him. And they paid Daniel Jones. And if I would be Saquon, I'd be upset Mm -hmm. too. I would be disappointed and frustrated because nobody can look at that team and not say that Saquon Barkley is the real engine behind that offense. And if you think otherwise, you're sorely mistaken. Look at how that team is not an 11-win team like they were last year without Saquon Barkley being able to kind of turn it back to his old days at Penn State in his rookie year without that level of production and without him being the focal point. It does not work. He's he's the only guy I thought had legitimate ground to stand on. I think, and I'm normally dead fast against this, and I guess I would be in this instance too, but it really feels like the only the only people who can solve this problem for NFL running backs, Saudi Arabia. They're paying everybody oh. in the world to play sports. Just have Here running back only football over there, I guess. <laughs> you want they just I, I could sell it to them. It's like smash mouth. It's aggressive. It's a throwback to the old <laughs> school. I don't know. Just saying. I personally would be against it. But if you're an NFL, no throwing allowed, that's right. And if you are an NFL running back, I don't know. Get your people throwing the, ruins everything. Get your get your people on the phone with their people, and maybe you can have a running back only league uh, in Saudi Arabia. You can go hang out with Cristiano Ronaldo and Kareem Benzema. You're good with that. That's it. They will treat you well, and look at they, did you they see what they did for you well, Na- and we will not talk about how they will treat other people. Did yeah. you see what they did for Neymar? You no, see the I didn't plane see again? A Boeing 747 all to himself I to saw, fly over there? That's amazing. I did see that Come he, in his deal, he gets like $500,000 or euros or that's, whatever yeah, the metric is just for every time he's like, hey, Saudi Arabia, yeah, yeah. sick. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to post it on social and he's good. I mean, 
I would be ruining my social prize name. It's like, you've already taken the, you've already taken the blood money. Go get as much of it as you possibly can. Like, there's no point. Uh, what did my man, uh, wasn't Walter White. It was the other guy from Breaking Bad, Mike. No half measures. If you're going to do it, do it. Don't step in there. Let me dunk my toe in this. No, if you're there, splash around. Cannonball, baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Fun, fun show today. Great job by fun you. Show. Great job by the Sant Man. Yes. How great a job. Are you say Kikuchi and the Blue Jays going to do today? Well, we're going to give Josh some extra credit too because he's been on the U side train okay. since well before the season. I'm the guy that sits there beside him, so I know very well. He was sitting there talking about the Grapefruit League MVP before the Grapefruit League even started. Okay, and I and I got I scoffed at it, but Josh was right, so I give him credit on that. The cooch on the mound tonight, it's a big one. I it's need, a big one for him tonight. It. Yep. Uh, it's not him that I'm worried about. It is uh, the other nine guys who are going to comprise oh, oh, uh, no the doubt. Blue Jays today. Uh, they get Grayson Rodriguez, <laughs> who was pretty good in his outing against the Jays uh, when they were here about a month ago. Fun show today. Bunk is coming up next. We're back tomorrow with Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan.